0: If you have your Bibles, would you please turn again to the book of Philippians. We are in chapter 1. We're now entering into the section of verses 3 through 8. You remember the letter-writing model that was used in the days of the Apostle Paul was to open a letter by identifying who's speaking, and then to give some kind of salutation or some kind of greetings, and we've seen that in verses 1 and 2. Well, an additional thing that was often done was right after the salutation, they would give an expression of thankfulness or thanksgiving, and that's what we find here with the Apostle Paul. Please notice in verse 3 down through verse 8 of Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day even till now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says here, in verse 5, that he's thankful for, the ESV uses the word partnership. Other translations may have the word fellowship. Fellowship, that's that's a good word. It's something that people really want. They long for that. They yearn for that on a regular basis. However, when Christians use the word fellowship, quite often it is wrapped around potluck dinners, superficial chatting about sports or weather or latest news, often done over coffee and donuts or some other type of cuisine, right? We even have fellowship halls. What is that? It's a place to eat, right? That's our understanding of the word fellowship. In the Western church, it usually means food. But true Christian fellowship is quite different and deeper than just that. So this morning, what I want to do is lay a foundation, and then next week, we'll look at all of these verses together and see some of the things from which and into which true fellowship flows, We need a foundational understanding of the word fellowship in the New Testament so that we can have a real grasp of what it is and how to utilize it in our relationships. Well, whatever it means, someone made this comment. Even by our own limited understanding of the word, it seems strange when we consider the closeness between this Asian Jew who is in prison and these European people who themselves were no homogenous group very strange that Paul would talk about partnership or fellowship. Their race was different, their circumstances were different, and yet he could say, I'm thankful to God for your partnership or fellowship. What was it that knit them together? The answer, true Christian fellowship. Now, before we delve into what it means, let me give you a couple of disclaimers or important notes. Number one, This fellowship of which we're going to speak this morning is made possible. It is created by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, it is maintained by the works and efforts of believers in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. God creates the foundation, the possibility of fellowship. That is something that's objective. But we as Christians must maintain that fellowship and go through the process of making sure it is not only developed, but also survives and thrives. Secondly, in keeping with the theme of our book, fellowship is something that comes because people are joyful, but it also leads to greater joy in our relationship one with another. So, what is fellowship? Let me quote one commentator that I found. I thought his words were very, very helpful. He says in Acts 2.42, now stop for a moment with me, will you? Will you go back with me to Acts 2.42? This is a result of the Spirit of God coming on the day of Pentecost. A great sermon is preached, many are converted. And the question could be asked, well, what is some of the first things that they did as new believers being joined together in Christ? Look at chapter 2. Of Acts in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, or literally the prayer meetings. Four things they were engaged in. And people have oftentimes asked me, "Uh, Pastor, I'm looking for a church. What kind of church should I look for? I usually answer, don't look for a denominational tag primarily. Don't look for some of the superficial things that people want in a country club or a social club. If you want something, go straight to Acts 2.42. If you want something about a, a New Testament church, these four things must be evident. And that can't be done by just visiting one time. Are they committed? Are they devoted? And the word devoted means passionately hanging on to, the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' teaching? It's right here in the New Testament. Secondly, and fellowship. Now, after this morning, I hope we'll have a better understanding, a greater grasp of what fellowship is. And then the breaking of bread, and that has a couple of ideas. It certainly means communion, the breaking of bread in remembrance of Jesus. But I think it also means that we have fellowship over the table. There's something very wonderful about Christians getting together at a table and sharing food and fellowship and our hearts and lives together. That as well. And then the prayers, or the prayer meetings. I've seen in my lifetime something that greatly disturbs me. Many churches have canceled their prayer meetings. Others have replaced them with children's ministry and other things. This is my own personal conviction. I think sometime during the week, very often, at least once, the whole body of Christ should get together and call upon God. If you trace the the work of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts, and the progress of the gospel, and the progress of the church, and the mighty works of God, they are always surrounded by and supported by people who pray together. So prayer meetings, prayer times are essential. Those four things are essential ingredients in a New Testament church, according to my understanding of the Word of God. So in Acts 2.42, he goes on, we read that one of the four things they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. Fellowship was important. It was one of their objectives. But what is it? Well, we often hear people talking about fellowship. We hear it said that what we need is more fellowship. But our modern ideas of fellowship have become so watered down, it no longer carries the same intention as the New Testament usage. And we're not surprised that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. Why, you've got to have good teaching and you got to pray. But Luke tells us these early Christians also devoted themselves with equal desire and equal passion to fellowship. They didn't just have fellowship, they devoted themselves to it. This means that fellowship was a priority. It was one of the objectives for gathering together. So when we leave today, will we be able to say we had true fellowship? They made fellowship a very important part of their church life. However, today, we view fellowship as what we do in the fellowship hall. It's a place we have casual conversations and savor coffee and donuts. That's not bad. And that can contribute to fellowship, but it falls far short of fellowship according to the biblical standards. Still others who have become fed up with a local church seek their fellowship through viewing a worship service on TV. But this too misses the picture, and i got to quote this one gentleman. His name is Joel McGraw. He has suggested that if you're one of those who gets their religion by watching TV religious broadcasts or listening to it on radio, you might want to step up to that set after a service and give your television a great big hug. In parentheses, this is my LOL. And I'm sure that when you're sick and you're in the hospital, be sure to call your TV pastor. He'll get on his jet and he'll come visit you right away. Isn't that foolish? Of course it is. The electronic religion of multitudes of people creates something that they don't want they want to run away from, but it nonetheless creates it. It creates emptiness in their lives. Why? Because interpersonal relationships are so desperately needed to keep our faith glowing and good, Folks, no one can grow in grace apart from an intimate relationship with a body of believers. That's as New Testament as salvation in Christ alone. Interpersonal relationships are so desperately needed to keep us glowing and growing. If you drop off your associations with other Christians and disassociate yourself from them in worship and service, you will run out of spiritual fervor and dedication in a very short time. There is no substitute for going to church and worshiping with others of like precious faith. Someone may be thinking, well, my view of fellowship is much richer and deeper than that, just social activity. True fellowship for me involves getting together for spiritual purposes, sharing needs, prayer, discussing and sharing the Bible, comfort and edification that comes from that. And you're probably right. This certainly is an aspect of Christian fellowship and one much more important than just the idea of having food together. It's an area of fellowship that is often lacking in the church today and needs to be remedied. However, this still does not comprehend or grasp the full and rich meaning of fellowship. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. As you, if you have an outline, there are four key words on that outline that really are the summation of what I want to say. In order to grasp the meaning of fellowship and relate it to our lives, we need to study what the New Testament says about it. So before we get into those verses next week, that's what I want to do. And I'm calling this the foundation the foundation of the doctrine of fellowship in the New Testament. Now, if you go to a dictionary, and there's several of them, for me personally, I like the older ones. I think they're a whole lot better. They've, the newer ones have left out some of the definitions. They've changed them. I like the Webster's and the Miriam's, all those older ones. And if you look at one of those, you'll probably find the word fellowship, and you'll have three ideas. Companionship, community, and connection. That's Okay secularly, that's, that's okay. It grasps the idea. But positively, according to the New Testament, there are four words, and I'm not going to try to impress you with the Greek language, but I'm going to give you the English translation of it. Four key words to talk about and really give us the full meaning of fellowship according to the Bible. Number one, relationship. Relationship vertically, arrow going this way. Relationship horizontally going this way. Come with me again in your Bibles, and I'm going to start doing this more, as long as the Lord lets me stay here. First John one three. I want you to walk out here saying, "That's that's." I don't want you saying that's what Pastor Ed says. I want you to say that's what Pastor Ed says that God says. First John one three. There's a word that's used there. First John one three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Jesus Christ. That's the vertical relationship, vertical fellowship with God. And it's this that renders the other three words that we're going to look at possible. This is what we call objective. It's something outside of us. The reality and the condition is created by God. And that's what enables us to have the fellowship this way. Without this, we will not have this. I wonder sometimes when, quote, fellowship breaks down in a church, if you're not dealing with a lot of people that have never had this relationship. This is crucial. This gets everything else going. Regardless, however, of one's daily spiritual condition, if they are true believers in Jesus Christ, then the foundation for fellowship is there. New English Bible translates 1 John 1.3 this way, What we have seen and heard we declare to you so that you and we together may share in a common life that life which we share with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is first the sharing together in a common life with other believers because of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Fellowship is first and foremost a relationship rather than an activity. Can I say that one more time? Fellowship is a relationship, not primarily an activity. The principle is that any activity that follows should come out of that relationship. That's the vertical. What about the horizontal? Again, Acts 2.42, we looked at just a moment ago. The early church was not merely devoting itself to activities. You know, we need more committees. We need to have more potluck suppers. We need to have more softball games. We need to have more fellowship. And so we say we need to do a lot of things together. No, not necessarily. Is it wrong to do those things? No, not at all. But it's a relationship. It was this relationship that produced an act of sharing in other ways. It is so important that we grasp this. Fellowship means we belong to each other in a relationship because we share the common life through Christ. Of course, there's also a negative aspect. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 14? Don't have fellowship with unbelievers. Why? Because there's nothing there that's common. By the way, that's one reason that uh, when teenagers get to the point where they think they have to start dating, got an 18-year-old grandson. He's just devastated. He took this girl out last week, and she got to him the other day and said, Sorry, just want to be your friend. I'm thinking, Yes! <laughs> 18 years old. Now, you guys ain't going to like what i got to say. That's okay. i got white hair. I'm old-fashioned. I'm 68 years old. But this nonsense... This nonsense of the American dating sets people up for divorce. I did it. Yeah, Papa, but when you were young, you always had a girlfriend. I said, just because I did it, don't make it right. And if you knew all the carnage that came from that relationship, all that nonsense, you wouldn't go down that path, you see. Because in today's dating scene, Susie, who are you going with this week? Oh, Fred, Oh, he's a dream dropped out of heaven. Two weeks later, he's a demon that's coming up from the abyss. <laughs> and then two weeks later, who you, who you hooked up with? Oh, Larry. And then it's Michael. You understand what I'm saying? There is no fellowship. If you're a Christian, young person, listen, if you're a child of God, the first question you should ever ask before dating, and by the way, every date is a potential mate. Didn't mean to get off on this. The first question you ask is, do they know Jesus Christ? I didn't ask if they go to church. I didn't ask if they call themselves a Christian. Look at their life. First of all, you be a child of God, and look at their life. If they don't love Jesus Christ passionately, done. Sorrow. Okay? There's no relationship. There's no fellowship, because heart is not to heart, see? And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, this negative aspect of a relationship. There's nothing there. What what fellowship does light have with darkness? The answer is none, because when light comes, darkness has to go. If darkness is there, there's no light. That's the first word, relationship. Secondly, the second key word in the New Testament is partnership. Now, it's interesting, is it not? At least it is to me. In Paul's letter here to the Philippians, did you notice what he said in verse 5? And this is from the uh, ESV. He was very glad, he was grateful for, notice verse 5, chapter 1, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In the Bible, fellowship embraces the objective, that's relationship, and the experiential aspects. This is subjective. However, for the experiential to occur, don't forget you have to have the objective. Why is that so? It's because the relationship aspect of fellowship, the objective, forms the foundation for all other aspects of fellowship. In relation to God, relationship, union, provides the motivation, the means, and the confidence, everything we need to enjoy the new life as those who are in Christ. It's because we are related to Christ that we are partners and related to each other in the gospel. And while these two words are different, they are related Relationship describes what we are. We are a community of people bound together by a common life and blessings that we share together through our relationship with Christ. Partnership describes how we function In that relationship. We are partners in an enterprise and a calling in which we are to work together in a common purpose to obtain common objectives for the glory of God and the gospel of Christ. Look at chapter 1 of Philippians in verse 27. Notice what he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel the main idea is this because we are brothers and sisters in Christ we have bound ourselves together in a covenant relationship and when that is so then we are partners in the promotion of the gospel and the building up of one another we are co-workers who partner and share according to our gifts in ministry here at Living Legacy Church we have a relationship with Christ, therefore we have. It's not, it's not an option. If you're a child of God, you're my brother. You're my sister. We're in the same family. It's not an option. And when we're in this family together, we have a responsibility to partner, to work together for the promotion of the gospel and the building up of the body of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, whether you want to know about Titus, you must know that he's my partner and my fellow helper concerning you. Philemon 17, if you count me therefore a partner, then receive him as you would receive me. Such is that relationship, such is that connection that we are glued together, we're stuck together in this enterprise called the gospel work of Jesus Christ. Relationship, partnership, third word is companionship. The idea behind companionship is communication, interchange, intimacy, sharing, giving, and receiving. A very important aspect of this is that communication. Sharing concepts, sharing feelings, ideas, information, needs. This is done through words, body language, and actions leading all members to have things in common. Do you remember that phrase? They had all things in common in the early church. Now, as with relationship, there's two dimensions. There's vertical. This is our communion and fellowship and companionship with the Lord through His Word, through prayer, through the filling of the Holy Spirit and the abiding life. But it's also horizontal. This is our communion and fellowship with the body of Christ with other believers. You can't have one without the other. This includes assembling together like this, meeting together one-on-one, getting together in small groups, Sharing and communicating truth together and building each other up. Sharing together in worship, including the Lord's Supper, the singing of hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, prayer, the ministry of the Word, and so on. It's doing life together. That's real fellowship. That's this companionship. It means that we must develop the loving art of communication. We need to be willing to share our own burdens and aspirations and be available to hear others who need to tell us about their lives as well. And what's the ultimate goal? Ephesians chapter 4, to build up the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of faith. The ultimate goal is to build and enrich each other in the things of Christ so we may all together experience the sufficiency of his life and tune our lives to his Listen to this illustration. I thought it was a little bit humorous, but nonetheless very pointed. A fellow by the name of Ted Malone had a radio show that came on early in the morning. One time he told of an Idaho shepherd who wrote to him and said, "'Sir, will you on your broadcast strike the note from a piano, A? I am a sheep herder way out here on a ranch, far away from the piano. "'The only comfort I have is my old violin. It's out of tune would you strike the letter, the note A so I can get back in tune? Malone honored his request. Later, he received a thank you note from that distant shepherd who said, now I'm in tune. Did you ever see yourself as that? Tuning up the life of other believers? Helping them to have a life that is rich and full? One of the purposes and responsibilities of personal and public worship is to enable the aspirant to keep tuned to the great shepherd. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You need to provoke, that's the old King James, sorry. You need to prod one another to love and good works. One of the joys of the Christian life is to help others recapture the missing note, whatever it may be. The basic pr- principle is very simple. God created us to be dependent. I'll date myself a little bit. No Man is an Island. You know that song? <laughs> Mickey, I know you know that one. Some of you others. Now, when I was a teenager, I wasn't allowed to listen to that bad, evil, wicked music. But somehow I did. My dad was a pastor, and I snuck out and listened to it. No one is a rock. No one is an island. God did not make us physically and certainly not spiritually, to be our own entity. We need one another. Genesis 2.18, what does he say about the man? Now, You wives are going to remind your husbands of this a lot. It is not good for man to be alone. Isn't it interesting? First day, God saw that it was good. Second day, God saw that it was good. the very end of the creation, God saw that it was very, very good. Chapter 2. It's not there something that was not good at creation? It was not good for man to be alone. Why? Now that principle is not only in marriage, it's in the relationship of believers one to another who are married to Christ and spiritually are married one to another. It's not good to be alone. That's the principle. As J.I. Packer says, we should not think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury or an optional addition to the exercises of private devotion. Rather, we should see that our such fellowship is a spiritual necessity. I need you. You need me. With all of our warts and our quirks and our differences, we need each other. But there's a problem, isn't there, in this culture? Someone has pointed out there's some real problems. The American culture? Oh my, it's not easy, is it? We're told in the Scriptures to not have fellowship with the world. Okay, that's true. We've got to be careful what that means sometimes. It doesn't mean that we become Baptist monks. People who don't know Jesus Christ are not going to come to know Jesus Christ if we stay away from them all the time. We don't have to enter into their evil practices, but we need to be them. Jesus was accused of what? Having fellowship, having dinner with sinners. Sinners. They took it as a word of derision. He took it as an honor. Look at your Savior. He's sitting down at the table. They're coming to him. Why? Because there was something about his life that they needed and they were attracted to. But even though we're supposed to not be like them, this society in which we live always influences us more than we want to be influenced in some ways. The church is allowing our culture to eclipse the light of scriptures we are being affected by a number of forces in this world's darkness, which is a part of the movement that's going on. is having a terrible, terrible effect upon us. Let me just name three of them. They're there on your outline. First is relativism. You know what relativism is? There's no absolutes. Everything's true. Everybody's right. Nobody's wrong. Boy, that's rampant. That's rampant. Secondly, privatization. key word there is private. Peterson says about privatization, the second force accommodates relativism. It says, what I believe and do is my private business. (laughs) No, it ain't. No, it ain't. The way I live, the way I conduct myself, is the business of the body of Christ. Why? Because we have a relationship, we have a partnership, we have a companionship. So what I do reflects upon you, what you do reflects upon me. So that if I flagrantly take the scriptures and violate what God says, oh, it's just my life. I'll do what I want. No, it's not. It's our lives together. And what I do affects you, and what you do affects me. We need to see that big picture, as it were. The problem is further aggravated by the fact that this influence has even influenced the private life of the church and its fellowship, as outlined in the New Testament. Believers often don't want to be involved in the lives of others, and they especially don't want you to get too close to them. That is so unbiblical. And the third force is individualism. Well, you know what that is. You put these three together, relativism, privatization, and individualism, and according to this writer, you got a deadly cocktail. A way of life emerges in which self is at the center. And if I remember correctly, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, what's the first thing you got to do? Deny yourself. And it doesn't mean after you start following him, you pick up the self and let it be back on the throne again as well, you see. So these things are are the, are the things that mitigate against us doing what God wants us to do. Relationship, partnership, companionship, and one more thing. The last word is stewardship. Now, you know what a steward is, don't you? If I have property and I give the... Management of that property to someone else, and I say, Now listen, I'm going away, you take care of this, and when I come back, I'm, a, I'm going to ask for an accounting. That person is not the owner, that person is the manager of my property. We need to remember in this matter of fellowship, in all aspects of true Christian fellowship, this fact should always be prodding me to ask, God. How do you want me to use or take care of your property? And how do you want me to use your property in sharing and having fellowship with those in need? 1 John three seventeen and 18. You've heard that, haven't you, before? Whoever has this world's good and sees that his brother has need, shuts up his heart of compassion from him. How can the love of God dwell in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deeds. And in action, James chapter 2, you say you have faith. Well, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, you know, that's like, oh, brother so-and-so, you have a need? Yeah, well, I'll pray for you. I know that God will provide. And back home, you have it and you could provide. That's what he's talking about. Depart in peace. Be warm, be filled, notwithstanding. You don't give them those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? That kind of faith without those good works is a dead, useless faith. We are stewards of what God has given to us, and one of his most precious gifts is a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ and the fellowship that flows out of that. What's the application to us? Four words. Relationship, partnership, companionship, and stewardship. (laughs) And we thought that fellowship just had to do with donuts and coffee. I hope you can see that fellowship for the Christian is more than a hall, a meal, or an event where we do something with a primary focus on food. I don't think Paul had a potluck dinner with the church at Philippi, do you? He'd not had an experience with them over a cup of coffee. I think they probably had coffee at that time. If they didn't, well, God bless them. Maybe it was some other enjoyable beverage of that day. Paul had experienced all four of these things with the church of Philippi. He and they had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and therefore they had one with another. He was the founder of the church. Companionship? Absolutely. You'll see at the end of this book, more than once they took care of him and helped him. Partnership? (laughs) Verse 5, in the gospel. Stewardship? Absolutely. They were stewards with him of the gospel that God had given to him. So let me wrap this up. Fellowship on the body of Christ is no side issue, folks. It really is important. It was one of the four things that the early church devoted. Now you need to you understand that word devoted means. It means nothing's going to stop me from hanging on to this. They devoted themselves to this. And I hope that from this brief study we can see why It is a means of support and encouragement to others and of ministry in the Savior's enterprise on this earth. Four words, relationship, partnership, companionship, and stewardship that describe the general emphasis of the New Testament concept. But how do you carry this over into the specifics? How can we have the kind of fellowship that encourages one another like this? How do we find the strength and the wisdom and the courage to have such fellowship? Well, if you're not aware, there's at least 59, 58 or 59 uses of this phrase in the New Testament, one another, or literally one to another. There are 15 different categories. Pray for one another, love one another, com- submit one to another, have fellowship with one another, encourage one another. There's all of those. As we look at those passages and begin to pray, Lord, let this be true in my life. Let me instigate this with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I believe God will allow us to begin to experience these things and the richness and fullness of fellowship in the New Testament. Now next week we'll take this foundation and we'll elaborate upon it and apply it to those verses 3 through 8 and show how how it flushed itself out in this church and Paul's relationship to that. What I'd like to do right now is I want to just give a couple of suggestions before we close. And I want to take a few moments and let you reflect upon what we've said this morning. First of all, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you have never had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You could not say that you're a son or a daughter of God. I want you to think about that right where you are. And perhaps if God has spoken to you this morning and you desire to know him and the forgiveness of sins, I encourage you to begin that relationship this day. Jesus said in John chapter 1, the Bible says that he, Jesus, came to his own, but they didn't receive him. But to as many as received him, him he gave the authority or the right to become the sons and daughters of God, even to those who believe on his name. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment to just bow your head and quietly reflect upon this if you've never trusted in Christ let this be the day when you do and before you leave this building come to someone and say hey what is this thing about being a Christian all about I'm I'm curious I'm intrigued I don't know if I understand it much my friend please don't gamble with life don't think you're gonna live forever because we're not make sure that if this night You breathe your last breath, and you are in the presence of God, that you know your sins have been forgiven, that you have a relationship with God in Christ. Brothers and sisters, or as Paul says in the first verse, saints of God, number one, let's just take a moment and examine my life. Lord, how am I in this matter? Well, the relationship is settled this way. I know that, Lord. I'm a Christian. But is is it okay this way? Is everything okay between my brothers and sisters and me? Bible says this, if you know somebody has something against you, you gotta go. If you have something against somebody, you gotta go. It's always your turn. Is that true this morning? I don't know. If it is, oh, please, settle that issue. Make sure the relationship this way is manifested in the relationship this way. Partnership. Am I really a partner in the gospel at Living Legacy? Am I doing my part to build up Christians in this church and reach the lost in this community? Am I really involved or am I on the periphery? Companionship. Do I feel like we're really working together and we're companions in this thing and I'm just as serious about it as anyone else? And stewardship. Do I realize that God has given me something to manage carefully? His property, His family. Am I doing my part? I just say, Lord, Psalm 139, Lord, search my heart. Show me, is there anything that doesn't belong there? Right now, I confess that before you and ask you to cleanse me of that sin and give me the grace to make it a priority in my life so that I can develop those things that flow out of my relationship with you.